Um, so my name is Santiago Cardenas. I'm a senior partner solutions architect uh, working exclusively on serverless. And I'm joined by Emily Shea, partner business development manager for serverless. Um, in today's session, uh, we'll be talking about accelerating business innovation with serverless applications. So let's get started. So what we're going to talk about today and what we have on the agenda um, is we're going to start off with a serverless executive pitch. So a way to talk to the uh, C-level executives uh, or the line of business owners uh, about serverless. And we're going to switch over uh, to Emily. She's going to talk about what this means for you, um, either as a partner or as a customer. So we'll have uh, this content applies to both partners and customers. Then I'll go over some customer stories. We have uh, four uh, really good customer stories around innovation with serverless and with the help of our partners. And then uh, Emily will finalize with you know, how partners can get started um, on, the, on their serverless journey on the AWS partner network. So you're, you're probably all here um, just because you want to learn more about innovating you know, with serverless applications. Um, but at the same time, you're probably here because you're interested in just doing more with serverless in general. Um, so maybe that may be winning more customers, uh, maybe getting more business. But in the end, it's really about delivering more value uh, to your business or your customers if, if, if you're a partner. So starting off with the executive pitch, uh, what we're going to go over is we're going to take a, a brief look at the transformation that Amazon.com experienced. Then we'll look at the architecture evolution we're, we're seeing. We'll also cover the computing evolution that we witnessed. And uh, we'll finish off the executive pitch with uh, what is and why serverless. So just to start off, let's start with a, with a bit of a truth. You know, microservices aren't, aren't really new. Um, so back in 2001, uh, Amazon.com had this you know, giant monolithic architecture application and a giant Oracle database. Um, and that's how the business ran. It wasn't very agile. It took about 11 hours to get an update out. And in 2001, that's the dot-com boom. It, just, it was a serious challenge uh, that, that we faced in time to market. So we, we had an idea. You know, what if we increase the ownership of each team, but at the same time, decrease the scope of responsibility of these teams? So we changed the way we built applications. We decompose into two pizza teams and microservices and decoupled services. So two pizza teams, um, we call this concept because you know, they should be small enough that you can feed them with two pizzas. Um, so that's around three to four people. Um, they are they're autonomous and they, they run what they build. They're small and agile. Um, they focus on innovation. And this can be you know, just building the next hot thing, incremental value to the customer, or just general continuous improvement. So this is a, a really natural fit for building modern serverless applications, which are you know, microservices that are delivered through a pipeline. And I'll go over a few more details on that. So at Amazon.com, um, after these changes, and instead of allowing hours you know, to launch a particular feature, uh, we've gone to over 60 million deployments a year. This is with a combination of thousands of teams uh, building and running their own microservices, uh, practicing continuous, continuous integration and continuous delivery uh, principles and using pipelines across multiple environments and, and a lot of times making use of serverless um, to focus on innovation. So 
in terms of the architecture evolution, and this is you know, not just the Amazon.com story, but in general, that we're seeing, you know, it's, it's evident that the system architectures are really evolving. Um, going from monolithic applications where you know, everything is tightly coupled, everything is, is at least a fragile software that, that's very rigid to scale, um, you need to over-provision. Um, really, if, if, if you need to release a small change, you have to you know, build the entire application, run the full test suite. Then if you know, all the tests pass, then you have to deploy the entire application. Um, so really, the evolution uh, centers around breaking down this monolith um, into smaller uh, minimal function services or, or microservices um, that focus really on one thing um, and one thing that they do well. So, each one of these microservices often have their own data store. Um, they represent real world, you know, uh, the, the real world itself, where service boundaries equal business boundaries or business domains. Um, this also leads to an evolution of teams, you know, giving, in, giving them the autonomy to, to really architect, choose their own language, deploy, maintain their, maintain their own um, uh, microservices or, you know, or set of microservices. DevOps principles also fit very nicely here, um, you know, in terms of using pipelines to deploy them. And uh, cloud native uh, serve microservices also take the advantage of the elasticity um, of, you know, of the platform and, and, and software services. So you finally end up with this, you know, the ability to make decisions very quickly and innovate. You know. So looking a little bit about how monolith deployment lifecycle you know, works, you, know, you have multiple teams working on tightly coupled services um, in, a, in a monolith. They're often deployed together, so as I mentioned, when, when one change, even if it's a minor change, you have to rebuild the whole application, deploy the whole application. Um, you'll have a, a, a single uh, delivery pipeline if you have one, so, so in a lot of cases, some customers don't have a pipeline and deploy manually, it's not a good thing. So the evolution normally starts out with uh, breaking down the, the teams into smaller teams, uh, reorganizing them, uh, then giving them the responsibility of you know, one, you know, normally not one, but actually, you know, several microservices, um, and, uh, and then, you know, creating these independent pipelines to deploy each of these services and scale them independently. So when we look at microservices architectures, you know, APIs are really the front door to these microservices. So the typical microservice architecture uh, communicates independently uh, via, you know, through other services via APIs. These may be invoked by, uh, clients, uh, IoT uh, devices, um, or even events. So events that are generated from one service and picked up by another uh, microservice. Um, it's very important also uh, to, to make sure that uh, the microservices have their own persistence layer um, and that no other service really communicates to that persistence layer, but really through the APIs of the different microservices. Now shifting over a little bit to the computing evolution that, that, that we've seen. Um, it wasn't too long ago that, that, that we've, we've seen really this paradigm shift on compute. Um, you know, we ha you have uh, these physical machines where it would take, you know, take months to even you know, acquire the machines, the, you know, rack them, stack them, cable them. Um, there were heavy investments in CapEx. You'd have to over-provision because um, you have to plan for years ahead of what you were buying. Uh, if it was a lease of physical machines or even if you were just outright buying them. Um, then we saw this shift to, to virtual machines and, and, and customers started adopting the cloud and, and, and our customers that adopt AWS cloud, you know, came to us for the agility, the breadth of functionality, the cost savings, the global deployment, um, and the elasticity that, that, that we offer. 
Um, however, um, with, with these instances, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're reducing the, the agility, uh, sorry, you're, 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 you're increasing the agility, but you're still deploying in, in, in hours or in minutes. So you have to prepare the machines, prepare the images that you're deploying. Um, you do trade CapEx for OpEx, so you can actually have more of the operational expenses uh, rather than, than, than buying everything up front. Um, and, and after that, we saw a shift not to containerization. Gives you a more density on the server, so you're able to pack more um, uh, processes on a particular server. Um, it gives you also a way to, to move across different environments very easily. So if you have a hybrid type of environment, you can actually move the containers back and forth. Um, allows you to scale more rapidly than VMs. Um, now the deployments are in seconds, so you can actually get a, a container up and running uh, very quickly. Um, and the final evolution that we're seeing now is around serverless. Um, mainly being led by Lambda, but also with Fargate. So in Fargate, uh, you don't have to worry about the underlying um, infrastructure or cluster nodes that, that run the, the, these containers. Um, you can get started very quickly. Um, and, and this is actually what we offer with serverless. It's, it's really removing all of that undifferentiated heavy lifting around the infrastructure. So, so what, what is serverless? Uh, really, serverless is an operational model. It really allows you to shift the operational responsibilities to AWS thus increasing your agility and innovation. So why serverless? Most customers are they're, they're choosing serverless. They choose it because there's no service to provision or manage. Um, it scales with the usage. You pay for um, the throughput. You know, so you pay for the execution duration or, or particular units, uh, capacity units, rather than look, thinking about server units or you know, instance sizes. Um, and availability and fault tolerance is already built in as well. So, uh, when it comes to, 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 to scaling and having this in, in, in multiple AZs and whatnot, it's, all, it's already built in, into the serverless services. Um, serverless being an operational model, it actually spans multiple categories. So um, a lot of customers, uh, you know, when they think of serverless, they automatically think of Lambda, and, and that's, that's where AWS led the way you know, with Lambda when it comes, comes to serverless. Um, but we also have uh, services across uh, data stores. So if you're looking for an object store, you know, S3 is a great place. Uh, looking for relational databases, Amazon Aurora serverless. Uh, and now we have an RDS proxy as well that makes it very easy to manage the connection pooling. Um, and DynamoDB for NoSQL type of data stores. And really, uh, after you combine all these things with all the integration services like API Gateway, EventBridge, and AppSync, that's really when you start seeing the big gains, really when you start interacting and having these decoupled microservices. So what we really mean by serverless is, you know, you're getting greater agility, less overhead, less things to manage. You get better focus on your, you know, on the, on the you know, business innovation, business logic. You get increased scale, you know, it's a scale that you don't really have to uh, focus on, on, on provisioning more service. Uh, you get more flexibility uh, in terms of uh, choosing different components and, and you know, which ones you want to connect and which types of data stores you'd like to use. And in the end, this comes to you know, just really being faster, to, you know, faster time to market. So back to the beginning, you know, really seeing, you know, witnessing a, a few paradigm shifts that are, that are driven by our customers, really working backwards from what, you know, what they need to do to win the market. So um, when customers want to win more customers, uh, they really need to you know, start working or looking at building better products. Um, to build better products, you have to innovate more often. Um, to innovate more often, you have to release the features faster. To release features faster, you have to decouple your software systems. And when you decouple the software systems, you actually now get to focus on business logic. 
And this is really where, where serverless is, is a great fit. I mean, even our leader himself uh, just a few years ago, um, Andy Jassy, mentioned that if Amazon.com were starting today, it would go completely all in on serverless. So with that, I'll pass it over to Emily. Thank you. Great. So uh, now I'm going to take over and talk a little bit about uh, what does that mean for you? How can you apply that as a partner looking to, to kind of accelerate your business and work better with customers using serverless? Uh, definitely know there's a few customers in the audience. And so uh, definitely you can think about this in ways that you might be talking to business leaders within your organization and uh, trying to help them understand the, the business benefits of serverless that they can drive. So I'm going to walk through a couple of concrete steps of the ways that we've seen partners put serverless into practice. So first off uh, is definitely being able to identify great serverless opportunities. So what makes a great serverless use case and, and being familiar with those use cases. Uh, next is being able to speak to those, those business leaders about the, the business benefits of serverless, um, be able to drive that message home. And then uh, once you're able to, to identify the opportunity, starting with a project fast and getting that into production quickly, uh, quickly demonstrating that value and quickly building trust with the customer, uh, leading to a very productive long-term relationship. So what are great serverless use cases? Uh, these are some of the most common use cases that we see customers using with serverless. Uh, definitely serverless makes a great application backend. Uh, so from anything from a static web application to something more complex, um, and also for mobile and IoT applications. We see a lot of customers will use serverless for data processing. Maybe they're using uh, Kinesis and Lambda to do stream data processing. Or maybe they're creating a serverless data lake and storing their data in S3 and querying that with Athena. The event-driven nature of serverless makes it a great fit for, for chatbots or for voice-powered Alexa applications. And then finally, IT automation. This is a big one that we see with serverless, where uh, teams within a company are looking to automate some of their infrastructure management. So maybe that's uh, creating policy engines, extending their AWS services, um, or otherwise using serverless within, uh, within their internal IT teams. Uh, definitely worth pointing out that this list is by no means exhaustive. We see customers coming into us with really creative use cases for serverless all the time. But this will help you get comfortable with some of the, the types of problems and use cases that uh, we see serverless being a really great fit for. By broadening the scope of who you're talking to within an organization about serverless, you'll be able to unlock new opportunities. So thinking about the different personas that we might be talking to within an organization, First off, of course, the CTO is going to be very relevant to that conversation. Uh, but I would argue that there's a lot of existing resources that are available to have those deeply technical conversations with the CTO about serverless. If we expand who we're thinking about and start to think about those line of business owners, maybe that, that VP of marketing uh, or operations, uh, you'll find that they also have use cases and projects that they're looking to drive that serverless could be a great fit for. The VP of marketing, they might be looking to take their marketing campaign data uh, and aggregate that together and run analysis on that. The VP of operations, they might be looking to uh, trigger multiple workflows when uh, a customer support ticket comes in. And the VP of human resources, maybe they're looking to transform their internal application for new hire onboarding. All of these are great potential serverless use cases. And the business benefits of serverless that Santiago talked about earlier are really going to resonate with those, uh, those line of business owners. So just thinking back to what those were, uh, if we think about greater agility, faster time to market, um, better focus on their core organization's objectives, all of these are going to be exactly what those line of business owners are driving towards, 
Uh, and so uh, presenting serverless as, as an option for that is going to uh, resonate well with them. So now that you've, you've spoken with the line of business owner, you've identified a project that they're interested in, and you know that it's going to be a great fit for serverless, we found that partners have had tremendous success by taking that initial project and getting into production fast, and in that way building trust with the customer. Without the need to provision servers, you'll be able to build much faster, and you'll be able to quickly demonstrate the benefits of both serverless, but also of, of you as a partner. Also, that, that initial serverless MVP will be easy to expand uh, as the application may need to grow over time. With high, high, excuse me, high availability built in, uh, if you have new customers coming in, you'll be able to scale up very quickly with no problem. Um, and then also, the serverless applications are uh, composed of many reusable components. So say that the business requirements shift over time. You'll be able to reuse code, to reuse components, to, to uh, shift that application to meet those changing business needs. This concept of starting with a small project and that being the catalyst within an organization for broader serverless adoption is actually what we see with uh, a lot of customers' organic uh, serverless adoption. So this is kind of the flow that we often see for, uh, for customers as they're organically discovering serverless. Often what will happen is uh, one of their developers or maybe a small team of developers will start to use serverless for some of those uh, internal automation of their, their infrastructure management or internal IT jobs. Uh, as the, their managers or maybe the directors are seeing these projects that they're delivering, that they're delivering quickly uh, under budget, they'll start to see if there's, there's opportunities to use serverless more broadly within the organization. So maybe they move to, to data transformation workloads. At this level, we start to see uh, the executives, um, the CTO maybe take notice of serverless and kind of what's being done with it for data transformation, for internal IT automation. And they start to see, hey, maybe we can refactor uh, some of our mission critical applications to be uh, serverless microservice based. So while this is the, the kind of organic uh, adoption, flow, adoption flow that we see today, we also think that, that partners can be that kind of spark of interest uh, and get that initial project going, get that initial awareness going, and kind of broaden the, the adoption within the organization. So now that you've delivered that initial project, uh, you've built trust within the customer, uh, we find that you'll be able to, to expand into more mission-critical applications uh, using serverless for the customer. With that line of business owner that, that you deliver the project for, you'll have earned their trust and you'll also have earned an advocate within the company for, for you as a partner and for serverless. So just by word of mouth, uh, with the other line of business owners, you'll be a go-to for uh, quickly delivered, reliable, serverless-based applications. And with that, you'll be able to, to unlock those larger scale opportunities. Uh, so next, I'm going to talk about the ways that we see uh, customers moving to serverless more broadly, kind of that, that larger refactoring of, of their legacy architectures or greenfield serverless adoption. Uh, so we're going to look at two of the migration patterns that we've seen uh, customers take. Uh, within both of these, we see that partners are able to provide uh, some critical guidance and support for customers throughout that journey. So the first migration pattern that we see is uh, incremental refactoring. And this is something that we often refer to as the strangler pattern. This is based on the uh, strangler fig vine, which is a vine that will grow up a tree and kind of extract re resources from that tree until there's more vine left than there is tree. 
And how this works with applications is, uh, so say you're a customer and you've been building this large monolithic application over many years. And it's definitely going to be intimidating to think about refactoring that to serverless all in one go. And so what we've seen customers be successful with is taking components of that application um, and making APIs and events uh, for those components. And in that way, they're able to, to start building serverless and start uh, adopting microservices architectures while gradually moving away from that monolithic architecture. Uh, so this is kind of the incremental and, and gradual approach that we've seen customers and, and partners help customers uh, deliver. Next up, we have uh, the bit more dramatic transformation, which is leapfrog adoption. So many of our customers today are, are in this bottom corner where they have a legacy application on-prem that they're looking to migrate to the cloud. And they're looking to, to really take advantage of those cloud benefits um, and maximize their ability to, to trade capital expenses for variable expenses, to reduce their need to guess at the capacity that they need, uh, and also just overall increase their business speed and agility. So we see customers take, take different routes to this. First, they may choose to, to lift and shift to EC2. And after that, they may choose to take advantage of our container services, EKS, ECS, and serverless containers with Fargate. Another route is they may choose to containerize while still on-prem, and then maybe move to, to our container services. However, we do see customers that are really looking to, to maximize their business agility right out of the gate and maximize their, uh, their cloud transformation. And with those customers, we will see that they uh, make that leapfrog jump all the way to serverless in the cloud. While we see customers are absolutely able to, to accomplish this on their own, we do feel like this is a prime example of where, our or where a partner can come in and provide that guidance, help the customer build up their internal serverless expertise, um, and help them be successful throughout the transformation and afterwards by helping them build their, their internal serverless abilities. And with that, I'll pass it back to Santiago to demonstrate some customer stories. Thank you, thank you, Emily. So we actually have uh, four really great innovation customer stories. And uh, starting off with the first one, uh, we have uh, Remix Integra and Slalom Build. Um, Remix Integra is, is one of the largest uh, residential real estate firms in the Canadian market. And Slalom is an AWS premier consulting partner, uh, while Slalom Build is the uh, build as a service firm. So Slalom really earned, earned their trust of Remax Integra uh, from two previous projects, and, and this enabled them to continue the partnership into this larger project. Uh, the website that they made is, is, is a single page application interacting with APIs hosted on a serverless backend, um, while the uh, listing ingestion pipeline um, is importing hundreds of thousands of listing agent and brokerage updates every day and make them available on the website uh, near real time. This, this really opened up the opportunity for uh, creating new features like an interactive map that drills down uh, to the street level, showing different points of interest like you know, neighborhood businesses, schools, and parks. The next story that we have is uh, the Gemological Institute of America in Track 10. Um, GIA is a nonprofit organization. So if you've ever bought a diamond, you probably are familiar with GIA. Uh, Track 10 is an AWS advanced consulting partner. Um, this is really a, a serverless migration story, uh, clearly a leapfrog uh, from on-premises to a serverless evolution. Um, what they wanted to do is they, they, wanted, um, they wanted an ad additional reliability and a global footprint. Uh, they wanted to improve their speeds. Uh, and and all, a lot of times also they found it a bit difficult to monetize part of, the, part of these APIs. So they uh, converted and captured a stream of events um, about uh, 50 million events during the migration um, and stored them in DynamoDB. 
with a uh, active-active multi-region deployment, uh, both in Singapore and Oregon, uh, for their read or you know, reporting API. Uh, the event source and ingestion pipeline with Kinesis, uh, the data is also um, is, is archived uh, via Kinesis Firehost into S3. Um, and then DynamoDB represents a materialized view of this data. Uh, GraphQL is used for the API itself uh, using AppSync. Um, and really does give them a strong and easily publishable schema and a reduction of network calls. Uh, this, is, this success actually led to additional projects with Track 10, um, and this is in production today. Uh, with, it, is, it actually started from a really successful beta. Successful beta. Uh, next we have uh, New 10 uh, and Datadog and SNCC. Uh, New 10 um, is a digital lender in the Netherlands. Uh, they offer small loans uh, to small and medium enterprises. Um, the, the, they offer a competitive advantage compared to the, the long paperwork traditional banks, um, the high interest uh, rate crowdfunded lenders. Uh, Datadog and SNCC are AWS advanced, consult, uh, sorry, AWS advanced technology partners. Um, New10 was actually born in the cloud. They started out with containers uh, and moved to serverless. Um, much of the code was actually reutilized um, by, you know, on, on the lambdas. Um, they have a fully functional, uh, fully automated outgoing payments and collections flow uh, using Lambda and Step functions. Um, with this, they've increased the development speed by 75%. Uh, from the data dog side, uh, they have a single pane of glass where they view all their metrics, uh, they, ingest, they ingest and index all the logs, uh, and they organize all of their services uh, with, a, with a service map. Um, SNCC is helping them under, uh, directly integrated into their CICD pipelines where they proactively find and fi uh, fix uh, vulnerabilities and license violations in, in, in the open source dependencies. Um, and this has allowed really new tend to in increase their, their pipeline uh, velocity um, and, and reduce the time spent on vulnerability scanning by 35%. And finally, we have a master stream ERP um, using uh, Stackery, Epsagon, and Pertigo. Um, this was actually an, an on-premises uh, to lift and shift to a serverless evolution. Uh, master stream is uh, when you, whenever you buy telecom services, the configure price and quote data has likely passed through master stream ERP. Uh, so if you think of it as uh, what SAP ERP is to businesses, master stream ERP is to telecom, the telecom business. Uh, Stackery, Epsagon, and Protego are AWS advanced technology partners. Uh, in this story, the uh, master stream leadership really grew frustrated with the feature velocity. They performed this lift and shift. Um, while this improved a lot of their, their cost, it, it really didn't improve their feature velocity. So by, by leapfrogging into serverless, uh, they were able to reduce the cost and time spent um, on creating features. Uh, Stackery helped another journey while applying the straggler pattern on a lot of their uh, services that they had uh, on, running on the monolith. Um, Epsagon uh, was used for the monitoring and tracing uh, via the Stackery Epsagon integration, uh, while Protego provides uh, runtime anomaly detection real-time incident alerts, and vulnerability management. And finally, I'll pass it back to Emily. Thank you. Cool. So I'll finish up with how can partners get started. I'll talk a little bit about the uh, AWS Partner Network programs that we have for partners that are interested in getting deeper with serverless um, and working more closely with AWS on serverless projects. So I'll talk a little bit about our uh, technical enablement, or our uh, training and enablement, rather, for technical and business track. Uh, our validation for those partners that have already uh, kind of got their hands on with serverless and have delivered a few customer engagements. 
uh, and then the opportunities for partners to demonstrate their more advanced expertise uh, within, within serverless. So first off, we have serverless navigate. This is our, our entry point for partners that are interested in serverless. This is where you're going to find resources and tools uh, for learning more about serverless and for building your uh, internal team's expertise. And like I mentioned, this is along uh, both a business track and a technical track. So uh, you should find something for, for both those folks within your organization here. Next up, we have service delivery. This is for partners that have uh, already delivered a few customer engagements and have demonstrated their expertise with a particular service. So for serverless, we have that for uh, Lambda and API Gateway, as well as a number of other services that you may be using within your serverless applications. So service delivery validates that the partner has, has expertise and has, has delivered successful customer engagements. Uh, definitely worth mentioning that uh, if you've already kind of delivered those customer engagements and want to jump right into serverless, feel free. Um, Navigate is definitely a great resource and a tool, but it's not a, a prerequisite for service delivery. Next up, we have competency. Competency is the highest tier of validation program that we have. And this is for partners that, that have done, uh, done a number of customer engagements, have really kind of uh, gone deep with a particular service or solution, um, and are, are wanting to, to demonstrate that. And so competencies are available by uh, industry, so government, education, financial services, and also by solution. While we don't have one dedicated to serverless today, we do see that, that serverless partners and advanced serverless partners will gravitate towards uh, maybe similar competencies, so something that's, that's related like IoT or DevOps or migration. Also, uh, if you're sitting in the audience as a customer, if you see a partner that has, has badging for service delivery or for competency, uh, that's definitely a partner that, that you should feel comfortable trusting with a serverless application. So coming back to the question that we opened with, uh, how do you win more business with serverless? We've seen partners be successful in their customer engagements with serverless uh, by following a couple concrete steps. So those are uh, identifying those serverless use cases and being very kind of comfortable and familiar with, with what makes a great serverless use case. Then being able to speak to those line of business owners uh, about serverless from, from a business perspective and demonstrate those, those benefits that they can unlock. And then finally, by, by getting that initial project into production quickly and quickly demonstrating their value as, as the partner and the value of serverless and leading to a very long-term uh, productive relationship between the, the partner and the customer. Thank you very much for all of your time. Uh, definitely feel free to grab our emails if you'd like to, to shoot us any further questions. Uh, we'll also be spending a little bit of time in the hallway. Uh, feel free to, free to approach either of us for uh, questions that you wanted to, to get. And uh, be sure to complete the session survey. Thank you.